Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.59 a.m. Central Daylight Time on this, the 19th anniversary of September 11th. Remember Building 7, bitches. Remember it. Remember it well. Building 7. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I know you're going to Google it, and the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to go, oh shit, conspiracy theorist. You weren't there. If you weren't there, if you weren't glued to the television set watching this shit go down, then of course you will think it's a conspiracy theory. I saw this shit live. Okay? That's all I'm going to say about it. But I was, I was not in New York City, but I was glued to the television set for that entire day. From the very early morning, when the first building was hit and the second one wasn't, all the way through the night. And about midday, somewhere, Building 7 all by itself just collapses, okay? So it's not really a conspiracy theory, because I watched the shit happen. But everything you're going to find on Google until you really go down that rabbit hole, you're going to think it's a conspiracy theory because that's the narrative that your loving governments around the world have spun up for your ass. But when you watch a whole bunch of newscasters standing in front of a camera with Manhattan city skyline behind them and the smoldering piles that were the World Trade Center, and they're talking about the collapse of Building 7, 23 minutes and 18 minutes and 13 minutes before the son of a bitch collapsed, You'll then you, you we have problems. I'm sorry, but there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that I can do about watching them lying to me on television as it was happening live. I didn't see it recorded. I didn't see it four years later. I saw it happen live. Okay, not a conspiracy. Also, <clears throat> last thing I say about I will say about Building Seven is this. There were several people that were talking live that, you know, a couple of days later when they were assessing all this stuff that were saying the following, you got building seven on fire and it was on fire. That is undeniable. It was definitely on fire. I'll give it that because I saw it on fire. But when somebody is telling me that either it's going to collapse on their, on its own, but if it doesn't, then they're going to demolish it. My question is, how do you demolish a 40-story building that's on fire in a controlled fashion? Because the only way that you can do a controlled demolition is go inside of it for weeks and tear out concrete to find all the steel support beams and wrap those sons of bitches individually with a lot of care, which means a lot of time, talking days to prep a building for controlled demolition. So I don't know what they were planning on doing, bringing in a wrecking ball, I, like dropping a bomb on it. I, you know, the whole thing is freaking stupid. 
question everything. It doesn't mean believe bullshit. It just means question bullshit because there's bullshit on there's bullshit on every side of every line that you can draw. Okay, just look at the lines. If you focus on where the lines are, then you'll have a chance to be able to identify the bullshit narratives on both sides of those lines. Okay, and that's important. Identify the bullshit conspiracy theories and identify the bullshit narratives. If you can do that, then you can walk down those lines and get to somewhere else. Buy Bitcoin. This is episode 284 of Bitcoin. And I'm going to start out with at Bitcoin underscore KYH. If you haven't heard about these yahoos yet, well, let me give you a little bit of a rundown on what's going on. This is the know your hash stuff. And for some reason, okay, for some reason, I, I wasn't ever even going to talk about this and, and you'll understand why in a second. But it's like for some reason is all over the place and all, you know, and I'm guilty of it right now by talking about it. But all we're doing is giving them some kind of credibility because they have none. Right. So first, before I get into that, what is it? Know Your Hash is an institution grade code of conduct for digital asset miners working with banks, fund management and family offices. Okay, that's the description that they got chilling out on their banner or their bio rather on Twitter. Okay, and that's at Bitcoin underscore KYH. They released a PDF that talks about how hashing is killing the planet, blah, blah, blah. And they get, I think it was, I was listening to Marty Bent and Rabbit Hole Recap yesterday, and he reiterated that one of the mistakes made was that they were saying something like, one exahash per second uh, spins like one megawatt of power per second. And uh, honestly, this is just, it's such bullshit. They've got a lot of things wrong. And somehow or another, we keep talking about these dudes, okay? So I want to reiterate, or I want to to bring to fore the fact that these that this is something that I'm never going to talk about KYH ever again after this. Why? Their Twitter account was born in August of 2020. It has eight followers. They are following 28 people. Now, so happens that their website which is knowyourhashrate.com, okay? Which is the KYH, it's got their branding, so I know it's the same thing. They have links to like GitHub, and this is where you can find their Twitter account, but they also have LinkedIn. Let's just go over there and look at who's, who, what does their LinkedIn look like? Well, Ian Gilmore is one of the only people that actually works at this place. I, I pretty much barely sure that it's his brainchild and not a whole bunch of other people. In fact, it looks like Ian Gilmore may be very well the only person that actually has anything really to do with Know Your Hash Rate. So who is Ian Gilmore? Well, he lives in Bermuda, apparently, and his experience reads like this. He is the chief operating officer at Slick International, which is the whole they are the parent company of KYH. He is also the editor of KYH, or the Know Your Hash Rate. And that started 
Oh, oh, look. Oh, oh, look. September 2020 to the present. So KYA just came out this month, apparently, even though that their bio says, or their lifeline on Twitter says that they were started in August. Okay. He was on the advisory board or is on the uh, advisory board of AI Forum. That's in the, the Caribbean. Oh, Slick and KYH are also located in Bermuda, just, just saying. He's a regional partner at the Green Recruitment Company in the Caribbean. He's business development at Green Tech Group, also in the Carib- Caribbean. Just saying. He's head of advisory at Blockchain Advisory, S-E-Z-C, which is in the Cayman Islands. He is the senior director of PwC, and that's in Dubai. He's senior consultant at Standard Chartered Bank in Singapore. He's associate partner, or was associate partner, of IBM in Dubai. He was a technology consultant for Bank of America under contract, which is located in New York. Let's see. Does he have anything else here? Oh, oh my. Six years he spent with HSBC. That's right. The, 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 the bank, the money laundering bank for all the freaking drug lords in Central and South America and all around the world. HSBC, the bank that had custom built uh, windows that only a briefcase full of cash would fit through and nothing else. That HSBC, he was management consultant at their London offices. He was also technology consultant at their London offices. And he was, uh, oh, their risk management consultant. Uh, And he was doing that in Hong Kong through RWA Analytics. He was delivery lead at BNP Paribus Fortis in the Brussels area of Belgium. Technology consultant at Deutsche Bank. He was, I don't know. Oh, he took time out. He took a sabbatical. Uh, Let's see, advisor for China Construction Bank in the 2001s and Senior Associate Director of Deutsche Bank full-time from 1995 to 2001 in London and New York. Now, you tell me, do you think that, the, oh, his, oh, I'm sorry, L- let me just say that his, what his mission is. He's on a mission to prove that profit does not need to come at the expense of climate and biodiversity. If you're not screaming bullshit at this point, then you got duped by these idiots over it. Know your hash rate. This is the last time you will ever hear me talk about know your hash rate. Let's do some news. Get my blood pressure back down. Oh, except I'm looking at Cointelegraph, and over here on the right-hand side is a video of Brock Pierce talking, and it's kind of making me a little ill, but I can deal with it. Square launches cryptocurrency patent alliance to fight the trolls, bitches. Samuel Haig, writing for Cointelegraph. Square, the United States-based financial services company headed by Twitter's Jack Dorsey, is establishing a consortium to fight patent trolling and ensure open access to technology in the crypto sector. Cryptocurrency Open Patent Alliance, or COPA, it's like the Copa Cabana, seeks to democratize access to innovative technologies in the crypto sector, asserting that open access to patents covering foundation, no, foundational cryptocurrency technologies is necessary for the community to grow, freely innovate, and build new products. 
Members of the Alliance will agree to pool crypto and blockchain patents into COPA's library, ensuring open access to technologies developed by participating firms. The Alliance website says, quote, cryptocurrency technology and its adoption is still at a nascent stage. We believe that tech cryptocurrencies success depends on the community coming together to build and develop upon existing technologies to innovate, which is not possible when parties tie up foundational technology and patents and litigation, end quote. The Alliance hopes to transform the way patents are viewed and used in the crypto world, emphasizing the opportunity for patents to be employed for advancing innovation in the sector rather than hindering the industry's development. As of April 17th, Alibaba Group held the most blockchain patents at 2,344. I thought that was going to be Craig Wright, but I, whatever. It filed for 470 patents in 2019, while Tencent, looking to accelerate its patent hoarding, filed 718 patents the same year. Controversial and self-proclaimed Satoshi Craig Wright <laughs> is frequently accused of being a patent troll for his and his company Enchain's efforts to secure hundreds of blockchain patents. Of the more than 5,800 applications for blockchain patents filed years last year, only 3% were granted. Similar efforts to create a collective shield against patent aggressors has been undertaken in the music industry with programmers and musicians Damien Real and Noah Rubin developing software to generate nearly every possible melody in defiance of the controversial music litigation industry earlier this year. Yeah, I remember that shit. That was great. In March, Katy Perry successfully had a ruling reversed concerning a lawsuit filed by Christian rapper Flame that sought $2.8 million for Perry's use of 8-bit musical timbre in the song Dark Horse, which Flame claimed had been stolen from his song Joyful Noise. In 1993, former Creedence Clearwater Revival singer John, John Fogarty was sued by the owner of Fantasy Records for allegedly ripping off a song that he had written 23 years prior when the record label had come to own the rights too. And I don't think that was the only time John Fogarty got sued by a record company. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember that one too. So that's good. I think it's good. Will they stand by their word and actually do it? There's only one way to find out and that's to wait and see. I know. Two weeks TM. Bitcoin ATMs on the rise. New Year's 10,000 in September 2020. Zycrypto.com is writing, oh, uh, I'm sorry, Jide Adowu, Adowu is writing for Zycrypto.com sometime yesterday. As the awareness about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies grows, so is the need to make these coins and tokens more accessible. As at present, Bitcoin ATMs, known as BTMs, hit 9,835 ATMs globally. Coin ATM radar shows this. This is a 167% increase compared to last year. Bitcoin ATMs facilitate buying and selling of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies fast and easy. Crypto holders can trade their crypto holdings for local currencies and vice versa. These ATMs are currently present in 71 countries globally. United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Austria, and Spain tops the list of countries with the most ATMs present at 7,740, 860, 277, 150, and 104 locations, respectively. Also, Afri African countries aren't left behind with countries such as South Africa, Ghana, and the giant of Africa, Nigeria, being a few countries where Bitcoin ATMs can be found on the continent. So, 
there you go. Bitcoin ATM starting to pop up all over the place. And if you listened to the show yesterday, I believe I had mentioned my trip to Dallas when I went to Bitblock Boom and was in the Barrio, uh, which is where I never expected to see a Bitcoin ATM. And there was in the gas station a Bitcoin ATM deep in the heart of one of the larger barrios on the, let's see, I guess it's going to be sort of the east side of downtown Dallas. Yeah, that would be the east side of downtown Dallas over there close to uh, Interstate 35 and the Texas State Fairgrounds. If you know where I'm talking about, those guys know what they're doing. The barrio actually knows what they're doing because they are allowing access to Bitcoin ATMs. GitHub CEO is not concerned with central bank censorship uh, hurting Bitcoin. Nick Chong is writing it for btctimes.com sometime yesterday. It's no secret that many central bank officials are no fans of Bitcoin. Jerome Powell, current chairman of the Fed, framed Bitcoin as a speculative store of value in a ni- uh, sorry, 2019 speech in front of the U.S. Senate. Powell then dismissed fears that Bitcoin would diminish or remove the need for a reserve currency. No, there's no way Bitcoin can diminish or remove the need for a reserve currency because it itself will become the reserve currency. Other central banks have gone as far as to launch their own digital currency, shitcoins, initiatives, seemingly to prepare for a world in which Bitcoin and digital currencies are prevalent. Considering the aversion many central bank representatives have to Bitcoin, Kraken's Pierre Rochard recently and chairlessly published a tweet stating that there was a scenario in which central banks would attempt to censor Bitcoin development. One way they could do so, Richard suggested, was through pressuring GitHub into removing the Bitcoin core repository. Quote, I would not be surprised if central banks pressured GitHub into delisting the Bitcoin slash Bitcoin repository. Development work would go on, but it would be far slower and more decentralized. And that's the direct tweet that he gave September the 9th. But according to the chief executive of GitHub himself, this shouldn't be a concern worth focusing on. Nat Friedman, the CEO of GitHub, isn't concerned. And he said this, quote, no plausible scenario where that becomes a meaningful issue for Bitcoin development. So he he replied directly to the chairless ones. Uh, notion. It's important to note, though, that GitHub is far from decentralized, despite being predicated on the concept of open source. Friedman previously shared that GitHub had to restrict users from Iran, Syria, and Crimea in in 2019 due to U.S. trade laws. Quote, it is painful for me to hear how trade restrictions have hurt people. We have gone to great lengths to do no more than what is required by the law, but of course people are still affected. GitHub is subject to U.S. trade law, just like any company that does business in the United States. End quote. GitHub also previously stated that it may need to block content if it receives a valid request from a government official. Quote, although we may not always agree with those laws, we may need to block content if we receive a valid request from a government official so that our users in that jurisdiction may continue to have access to GitHub to collaborate and build software But if Friedman's comments or anything to go by, any censorship of Bitcoin development via GitHub, if it happens, should not hamper this industry's growth. Okay, I like Nick Chung, I really do. But honestly, the words of the GitHub CEO should, well, they're chilling for me. They should chill the shit out of you. And is there any possible way to, I mean, is there any 
possible way to form a, I don't know, a P2P GitHub clone where I'm serving up, you know, as a seed, uh, part of the repositories for all these other projects. I don't, I don't know if one exists. I almost certain that that one should, but is it stable? Is it clean? Is it really decentralized? That kind of, those kind of questions come to mind, but also, you know, be aware that for, I think it's been two years now, BitMEX research, uh, I don't want to say the word fork, but it kind of forked the repository uh, from GitHub to their own like vault. And I think what they're doing, at first people freaked out about that, but honestly, I like BitMEX uh, research. I think that they did the right thing by grabbing a copy of this damn thing. And they, I would assume that they're keeping it up to date as much as they possibly can. And honestly, I, all of us should too. We should probably all be attaching to the GitHub Bitcoin slash Bitcoin repository and downloading the, the latest versions. If, you know, if at all possible, just so that maybe in the future, if something bad does happen, that we've got a chance to extricate ourselves from all the stupid. DeFi's, speaking of stupid, DeFi's yearn.finance is, guess what? Coming to Coinbase Pro. That's right. Robert Stevens writing it for Decrypt.co. Sometime yesterday, Wi-Fi, the governance token that powers yield aggregator platform, Yearn.Finance, will be listed on Coinbase Pro on September the 14th. The Californian crypto exchange announced today, Monday's launch will mark the latest DeFi governance coin Coinbase has added to its exchange. It added Compounds Comp and Makers MKR in June and Bands Band in August, Wi-Fi, is one of the success stories of this summer's DeFi-inspired bull run. It is immensely popular with a market cap of $1 billion and a daily volume of $546 billion per data from uh, metric site CoinMarketCap. That, so it has a market cap of $1 billion, yet it trades on a daily volume of 500, 546x its market cap. Does that sound right to you? Because it doesn't sound right to me. The cost of a single Wi-Fi peaked at $39,306 on August the 31st, four times the price of Bitcoin at the time, and double its all-time high, whatever. Granted, there are just 29,967 Wi-Fi in circulation at the time of writing compared to the 18 million-odd Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's market cap is almost 200x larger than Wi-Fi's. Wi-Fi's price dipped then dipped at the beginning of September along with the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum before rising once again to its current price of $34,271. Its price has risen by 26% in the past 24 hours alone. FOMO in, bitches. Dude, max out your credit cards. Get as many mortgages as you can. Throw it all into DeFi. Have fun getting wrecked. And all... This for a token introduced by Urine.Finance's creator, Andre Cronje, as having zero value. Cronje wrote upon launching the token, don't buy it, earn it, end quote. Wi-Fi is earned when people stake cryptocurrency in Urine.Finance's smart contract. Urine.Finance's main feature is to generate high amounts of interest on crypto deposited 
in its smart contracts by dispersing this money among different DeFi lending and liquidity protocols. Since its creation, Yearn.Finance has expanded into a kind of DeFi super app. It's vaults. Feature maximizes yields on liquidity protocols. Its earn section does the same for lending protocols. At the time of writing, it's the fifth most popular DeFi protocol with $804 million locked in its smart contracts ahead of its Uniswap, Curve Finance Maker, and Aave. Coinbase Pro is Coinbase's crypto exchange. Shitty company, shitty exchange. Y'all shouldn't be using them and no, that wasn't written in Decrypt. This is, whereas buying Bitcoin from the regular Coinbase app is to buy it directly from Coinbase, Coinbase Pro is a fully-fledged exchange that helps supports trades between other exchange users, i.e. the rect. However, users will have to wait for full trading access until about Tuesday. The first phase set for Monday is allowing them to transfer Wi-Fi to the exchange. So how old is this freaking token and it's already on Coinbase Pro? Now compare that to all the shit coins in the world that have never gotten listed, okay? And I'm, I'm, I, you know me, I hate shit coins, but still, I got to compare it. I mean, they're, they're, you know, Brian Armstrong has this tendency to find the absolute worst ideas and then list those first. And then anything that is close to not a good idea. Sorry, I got interrupted by my boy who was needing something off, uh, off the desk. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, Brian's got this really weird habit of taking the, the most dangerous things that you can take and freaking ninja launching them. Or launching them like with only a couple of, you know, after like, I don't know, I don't know how long yearns or Wi-Fi has been around, but it, like what? Are, are we talking like a couple of handfuls of weeks? I think. is re, ridiculous. It's re, I mean, it's like you're just begging to get people in trouble by doing this. And yet something that is not so freaking nefarious never gets listed. It's all nefarious, but you get my point. Some shit coins are way more dangerous than others and this is D this DeFi shit is horribly dangerous just if not investment advice but stay away because you won't know when to sell the top you won't know when to get out before freaking chef nomi or whatever decides to dump 13 million sushi on the market because he's still going to be part of the project right bullshit good for bitcoin U.S. Senate rejects stimulus without $1,200 checks. Like, that's going to do anything anyway. Joseph Young for Cointelegraph sometime early this morning. The Senate rejected a skinny $500 billion stimulus package. But for Bitcoin and stocks, it could be a good thing in the medium term. However, this boosts the chances of a new proposal with individual checks getting approved and could serve as a catalyst for BTC. The new proposal, dubbed a skinny stimulus bill, was rejected with a 52 to 47 Senate vote. Republican Senator Rand Paul, along with Senate Democrats, blocked the new package. That did not include $300 billion for stimulus checks. Both Republicans and Democrats rallied for a new round of direct stimulus checks in recent months. When a bill without small business support and individual checks was presented, the Senate said, No can do, bitches. There is a high probability that the Senate would approve a bill that includes direct payments by the month's end. If the bill had gone through with no direct payments, it would not have had as much impact on stocks, with which Bitcoin has shown a tight correlation since the March crash. 
In May, the data aggregation company Evervest Yodely. What? Ev Envestnet Yodley. Investnet Yodley. You know, I'm just I think people are running out of letters to string together. Found that many Americans use their stimulus checks to invest in stocks at the time. Yodley President Bill Parson stated, quote, there's clearly a correlation between COVID and people being re-engaged with their money. Oh, oh, it hurts. Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, similarly shared data suggesting individuals were buying Bitcoin with their checks. And he gives that, that oh God, what is it? That chart that he uh, Brian put out of, uh, during the first round of checks showing that there was indeed people <laughs> using their checks to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin. It was awesome. The only thing that Brian has done in years that I've actually applauded, but you know, Brian, what are you going to do? The percentage of deposits equal to $1,200 significantly spiked after April from 0.1% to 0.4% by nearly fourfold. But if a revised package gets through in the future with individual checks, it could once again put buying pressure on the stock market and the price of Bitcoin. Bipartisan Policy Center Executive Bill Hoagland said that the Senate might consider a new proposal by the end of September. He said, quote, if the FEMA money is gone, you're going to cut off even the $300 that's being made available now. That may be the only spark I see that would energize both Republicans and Democrats to do something maybe before the end of the month. End quote. Two weeks, TM. Economists are pushing the government to introduce another round of direct payments due to its effectiveness. Natalie Foster, the co-chair of the Economic Security Project, said direct payments are the fastest way to provide financial support. Foster told CNB, CNBC, quote, direct checks are the most effective, fastest way to support American families. In the last six months, we received one to $1,200 payment, which is not enough, end quote. The Senate is unlikely to pass a proposal unless it includes individual checks in a package for small businesses, a package that they will never see, by the way. That's me talking. Why do I know that? Because they didn't see the other ones. If you miss that whole thread from that dude that does lending, he's like, there's no small business association is not lending money. They're, they're not. They're, they're actually being asked by businesses that are, have huge market caps to give them a loan and they're not equipped to deal with this kind of shit. They're a small business. Now, you know what? I can't remember. I think it's fed up biz. Uh, yeah, I think it's fed up biz guy. I think on Twitter, um, if you find him, you, you can read his rant about it because he, he was actually, he was on with Peter McCormick on what Bitcoin did podcast. I listened to that one while I was in Dallas and it was really rather eye opening. but to finish this off, for tech stocks and the price of Bitcoin, the Senate pushing for additional direct payments could become a bullish catalyst. Yeah, but only in the short term. I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, numbers are numbers, which is what we're going to do now. Run the numbers. All the major indices are up. Do you feel saved? I know I feel saved. Thank God we're saved. S&P 500 up by damn near half a point. NASDAQ is up scant. Uh, Dow Jones is up over half a point. The FTSE is up almost three quarters of a point. The Nikkei is up definitely three quarters of a point. Hang Seng and Shanghai 
as well are above a three quarter of a point rise. We have the VIX falling by 6%. And yeah, that's it. So thank God we're, we're all saved on this Friday, September the 11th, as people shove more money into Nikola. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. All the bond yields got pushed lower. Let's see what Germans 10 year. Yeah, they're still in negative territory. Minus 0.48% is what it's going to cost you to hold that steaming pile. Oil rallying by three quarters of a point to the upside. It's now going to cost you $36 or I'm sorry, 37 and a half bucks to buy some West Texas Intermediate. It looks like natural gas is getting its ass handed to it. It is down by damn near two percentage points at $2.27 for a thousand cubic feet of the smelly stuff. Let's see what else is going on. Nope, that's going to do it. Let's talk about actual money. $10,336 is the price of Bitcoin right now. I got a high over at $10,300 uh, at bit asset of $10,342. I have a low. Where's my low? Where's my low? At Simex at $10,323. 340,000 transactions being performed in the last 24 hours means that about 14,000 transactions are being sent every hour on the hour. Three, good shit, man. Oh, 3.5 million BTC have been sent around the horn in 24 hours. For the uninitiated, that's $35.5 billion. Just whatever. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. That's damn near 20% of the entirety of Bitcoin's market cap. In liquid mode, I might add, uh, that we have 143,500 BTC being sent on average every hour. The average transaction value is 10 Bitcoin. Never seen it that high. That's $104,000 every time somebody makes a transaction on average. The median transaction value is 0 0.05, which is about $515. Every, that's the median transaction value is half a grand. Block times are low, eight minutes and 50 seconds. Gee, I wonder why. 0.65 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 107.16 BTC being taken in fees overall in a 24 hour period. We have a bump, of course, in hash rate by about 4%, and that brings us up to 129.34 exahashes per second. Ethereum, 369. Bcash, 224. Litecoin, 48 bucks. BSV, who gives a fuck? Ethereum Classic, five and a quarter. Dogecoin, coming back up, coming to life, 0 0.0028. At Almost 50,000 transactions. Uh, Dogecoin is tromping all over the usual suspects. Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Bcash. Clark Moody bringing us yet more good news. 10306 bucks is his price for Bitcoin. And when Clark queries whatever node he's querying for the volume of Bitcoin that is in circulation, because we can do that, unlike Ethereum, 18,486,064.83 BTC are now in circulation. We have 14,500 transactions waiting to clear, and that's going to clear at about 14 blocks. Lightning Network, 
100, oh, sorry, 1,063.17 BTC. That's about $11 million in value of the Lightning Network. That's spread across 7,476 nodes, representing 36,690 channels. We have yet another all-time high on the Tor capacity. 50.1% of the network is now Tor. That more, slightly more than half of the entire Lightning Network is running over Tor. That's good news. 532.5 Bitcoin on that side of the network, and that's going over 2,385 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of, well, by the time you hear this, it'll probably be in the afternoon, but where I'm doing it from, it's the morning roundup. DeFi mania proves we learned nothing from the ICO run-up. Finally, somebody just spells it out. Who is it that's spelling this out? Well, it happens to be Shiv Malik, writing for Coindesk.com sometime when? Oh, good Lord, sometime yesterday. Last week, the eminent anthropologist and co-founder of the Occupy movement, David Graeber, passed away aged just 59. Oh, his tome on the origins of money and finance, debt, the first 5,000 years, should be required reading for anyone involved in crypto. Ranging from Mesopotamia to Manhattan, just about every page is filled with a salutary lesson or insightful parable on how, over the millennia, value came to be represented in either physical form or on a credit or debit ledger. Take this from page 348, detailing Londoner stock mania following the meteoric rise of the South Sea Company of the early 1700s. Graeber quotes this contemporary account of one of the many very profitable start-up stock swindles that followed in its wake. Quote, the most absurd and preposterous of all the schemes, which showed more completely than any other the utter madness of the people, was one started by an unknown adventurer entitled, quote, a company for the carrying on of an undertaking of great advantage, but nobody to know what it is, end quote. Good God. The entrepreneur promised that for a hundred British pounds, a share, uh, investors would earn dividends of 100 British pounds per year thereafter. An amazing return, which in theory should have left everyone incredulous. And yet by the first morning of the IPO in London's Cornhill, its original financial center, the man had raised deposits of 2,000 British pounds to secure a fifth of all the stock. The fear of missing out was simply too great. Of course, by the evening, the entrepreneur had gotten on a boat to Europe and was, well, never heard from again. Okay. Graver writes that if the story is true, then, quote, the entire population of London conceived the simultaneous delusion not that money could really be manufactured out of nothing, but that other people were foolish to believe that it could, and that by that very fact, that or and that by that very fact, they actually could make money out of nothing after all. To anyone following the DeFi tumult, all this should sound disturbingly familiar. Rather like the South Sea bubble, the DeFi bubble may have just gone pop. Well, we'll we'll see. Stupidity has a tendency to inflate stupid shit. So we'll have to see. But certainly there are those with egg 
or sushi on their faces and others who seem to have fled with the loot. Oh, gee, really? No. It, at the heart of the DeFi attraction lies the ability for people to make extraordinary returns, 25% per year, simply by becoming a lender. The promise from the platforms has been that lendings are safe. Smart contracts will guarantee collateralization of more than one to one. In other words, more money is locked into a platform than is being lent out at any given moment. As people, as people hopped from platform to platform looking for the best rates to lend their crypto, a new term, yield farming, popped into existence to give the whole enterprise a feeling that real work was being done. You too, the subconscious messaging went, could be back on the land wholesomely farming on a wide open digital prairie. A classic hipster fantasy was being realized. Digital nerds could finally, like their grandparents before them, engage in authentic, meaningful work. I love this guy. He knows how to write, man. Quote, trying to make money out of nothing by believing other people will fall. Sorry, let's try this again. Trying to make money out of nothing by believing other people will fall for the trick is, in the end, still trying to make money out of nothing, end quote. And yet, few have wanted to zoom out and ask the simplest question. What is actually going on to make lenders so rich with that with credit card style interest rates? What real value is being provided by all this money sloshing around? Or to put it in 18th century terms, what is the great advantage here that is powering the money-making machine? The two main advantages of 2D5 seems to be tax avoidance and providing liquidity to borrowers. Let's take tax avoidance. So how does that work? Under most tax systems, profitability profitably cashing out of an asset creates tax liability. So being able to hold that asset while simultaneously being able to borrow against it reduces your tax liability while creating liquidity in another asset. Investor one, tax man zero. But at the macro level, and despite what accountants may tell you, avoiding tax isn't actually useful work. It's just avoiding investments and payment for services of one sort, the government kind, over those preferred by an individual, most likely further investment liquidity for another crypto asset. So is lending money real work? Well, lending is of great value to an economy, but only when the lender is assessing whether the money is being plowed into something that itself produces value. US and UK banks used to do this sort of thing fairly well, especially for businesses, but no longer. DeFi platforms are even worse at it because the decentralized nature of these platforms means the purposes for why people borrow can't in fact be checked. That's the whole point. There is no central party to do the checking. So where is all that borrowed money going to, to create those fabulous interest rate yields? At best, as anyone can guess, more token speculation. It's worth remembering here that the 1930s Wall Street crash was brought about in part because banks were opening lines of credits to individuals so that they could go out and invest in shares. That pumped up the prices, which only served to make even more people eager to borrow more money. It was classic bubble behavior and later outlawed. Of course, the same thing is happening now on Wall Street with quantitative easing. It's just that the funds are restricted to those closest to the money printers. So in both cases, DeFi's fueling behavior of traders. Is, is that real work? Well, if they are day traders and not long-term investors, which is highly likely Otherwise, why borrow at such high rates? Then the only work that is being done at a, system, at a systemic level is to ensure a more accurate price for an asset. People win and lose money based on what they think others think the price should be. 
for assets underpinned by huge economies, getting such prices right is very useful work. So Oracle, I guess, best way to put it. In that respect, stock markets and the various financial byproducts that are created from them have genuine value. But what if there is no real economy under the assets? What if a lot of money is being pumped in to determine the price of a business or software project that doesn't itself have a business model, revenue, consumer interest, or any sort of foreseeable use? And in that case, how much speculation is too much speculation? What, in other words, if there's no actual coffee under all that froth? Given 2017's initial coin offering mania, you'd think those in the space would have learned a lesson. Instead, we're here once more, nursing bruises born of foolishness, and it's likely that this isn't done yet because believers need to believe. And God knows that you have to be a believer to exist in crypto. All those fool-branded DeFi lending platforms have done to date is pump up various fantasies on offer. Like the investors of 18th century London, Graeber's wisdom would serve us all well. Trying to make money out of nothing by believing other people will fall for the trick for it is, in the end, still trying to make money out of nothing. Oh, thank God somebody else said it. And Shiv Malik, dude, well written, my good friend. Well, he's actually not my good friend. He's not a friend at all. He's certainly not my enemy because I've never met the guy, but the dude can write and write this one. He did. And it's all here. This is exactly what I've been bitching about ever since DeFi first hit my ears. Like what? Years ago? Oh no, I'm, I'm sorry. A few weeks back. Let's continue with a little bit more DeFi stupidity so that you know to stay away from it. Get ready for CDFI, CDFI, while crypto CEO warns of a DeFi bubble. Shad, uh, there's no way. Shad, or however you pronounce your first name, I'm not even going to try to butcher your last name because I've already butchered your first name. He, whoever, however you pronounce his name, he is writing for CryptoNews.com. I assume it's a he. I probably just got, I, I'm, you know what? Mrs. Hodel is going to kill me. Major crypto exchange Binance announced that they are attempting to bridge decentralized DeFi and centralized finance called CFI via a new support fund promoting discussions of the creation of CDFI. That would be C-E-D-E-F-I, CDFI. I'm personally, I'm waiting for the ICOD or ICDFIO, ICDFIO. That, that's what I want. ICDFIO. That's not what I'm waiting for. Anyway, at the same time, crypto market data provider Masari CEO warned of a DeFi bubble pop coming sooner than expected. Binance said it's establishing a $100 million USD seed fund to empower emerging projects and drive collaboration between CFI and DeFi. DeFi projects will soon be called to submit their proposals, said the company with strong projects competing to win up to $100,000 in funding, while high quality projects may even have the opportunity to participate to be listed on Binance. Oh joy. Among other ways, they're trying to bridge CFI and DeFi. The exchange said it's working with the Binance smart chain community through the Token Canal project announced several days ago to help developers connect the Binance Smart Chain, the exchange's own dual chain architecture with other public chains, enabling tokens on those other chains to be connected to Binance's, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. 
And then the new term CDFI was born in the crypto sphere. Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao said that DeFi is great. I love it. But CFI is about to give it a run for its money. There are two advantages CDFI offers. He said one, quote, exchange vetted projects and tokens, not bulletproof and sometimes may even be negative depending on the centralized exchange or CEX, but a reputable CEX is financially incentivized to maintain it. Two, with DeFi, you have to choose a single project. With CFI, BNB staked on Binance can and will earn multiple yields slash tokens simultaneously. 1x versus nx hard to ignore oh my god you're so gonna go to jail dude i'm stopping right there because i got a couple of you know a couple of more stories to read and i honestly i think we've all just about had our fill of the freaking stupid for the day right right bitcoin ads plastered across hong kong trams and near banks shara malwa writing for decrypt.co sometime early this morning a local Bitcoin community pooled funds to put Bitcoin-centric ads in Hong Kong, urging citizens to, quote, be their own banks. Trams and major landmarks near Hong Kong's famed banks will feature Bitcoin ads until October the 8th, courtesy of an initiative by a local Bitcoin not-profit. The Bitcoin Association of Hong Kong, or BAHK, a nonprofit that holds meetups and promotes the use of Bitcoin in the city, is using community donations to advertise the risks and merits of Bitcoin via billboard ads at some areas with high footfall in Hong Kong. Quote, more U.S. dollars have been printed in 2020 than were in existence in 2009. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin, one ad reads, pointing to the incessant money printing of the U.S. that has led to fears of widespread inflation in the country. The Bach, B-A-H-K, said in a release, quote, we hope the campaign will give us the opportunity to discuss how Bitcoin fits into a quickly digitizing global economy, the opportunities and dangers of drastic technological advancements, and the implications of digital, verifiable scarcity in the quote. Carrying the Bitcoin message will be a three double-decker trams, which carry over 200,000 passengers every day and billboards near various bank headquarters such as the HSBC Central Stand oh sorry Standard Chartered in the Bank District of Charter Garden or uh, is that Charter? No, Chatter. It that's how it's pronounced or that's how it's spelled as Chatter Garden. So I don't know. I've never been to Hong Kong. Despite the boldness of the move, the ads are no promotion for BAHK. Instead, they are strictly educational and even come with an attached tongue-in-cheek warning. Quote your Bitcoin is your responsibility. There will be no bailouts or quantitative easing. You can verify the total supply of Bitcoin with your home computer on the blockchain. End quote. Leo Weiss, the co-founder of The Bach, told Decrypt that the move helps drive conversation around Bitcoin in the city, one that's marred with political instability in recent times. This is an aside. This is the perfect time to do this shit. In between the old world being crushed uh, by China, uh, Hong Kong's old world, honestly, is only 100 years old, but still it's being crushed by the communist Chinese. But before the Ch- communist Chinese fully come in with their control mechanisms, there's this gap. Call it a CME gap. I don't know. Or a CCP gap. Yeah, whatever. Right now is a good time for this to occur because you've got that tumult going out 
and you got oppressive regime coming in, but right now there's a vacuum. The best way to fill that or the best thing to fill a vacuum with is not more power hungry assholes, but freedom. And that's what Bitcoin is. Quote, there are quite a few people very enthusiastic about Bitcoin who would want to talk more about it. The ad gives a good conversation starter and generally elevates the topic in public perception, said Wees. He added that the team does not expect any backlash from the local governments or the banks for placing the ads. Hong Kong's no stranger to Bitcoin ads. Last month, the city's Apple Daily newspaper took out a full-page ad after its founder, Jimmy Lai, was arrested for allegedly speaking against commie Chinese influence in the city. But will Hong Kong take note? I mean, that's... Will anybody take note? Several people already have. I don't see that going away anytime soon. I see more and more people coming into the space. I'm getting followed and my account is a small account. I'm barely listened to. I've been doing this for two years. I don't have the listenership of somebody like Peter McCormick, yet I do it every day. Why? We've got to do something. We've got to get out of this shit. All right. The entirety of humanity has basically been oppressed for thousands of years. And at one point or another, I'd like to see what happens when the humans human spirit is completely released. I'd like to see that happen. It may bear some bad consequences because, you know, you could be a psycho, but it would still. I mean, even under the Renaissance, there was power-hungry idiots that kept a good portion of humanity under their thumb, and they weren't free to express themselves. They weren't free to do all the shit that they wanted to do. There's a lot of people that probably would have, I don't know, just... Maybe they wouldn't have been robber barons. Maybe they wouldn't have been banksters. Maybe they wouldn't have figured out a way to steal the king's power. Hell, maybe they go out into the field and figure out a way to farm trout in a better, more efficient way. You know why? Because I would like to do that. I would, I would much rather figure out those systems than figure out what, what the hell a future or a derivative or a bet on a derivative or a collateralized loan. I, I don't give a shit. All that is really boring because, and the only people that find it interesting only find it interesting for one reason, to get rich. That's it. I guarantee you, there's a lot of people that don't give a shit. They just want to be left alone. That's why I do what I do. And I know that's why a lot of people in the space do what they do for almost freaking no money. Oh, by the way, guys that sent me stuff, of uh, sats, over my tipping me yesterday, way much appreciated, totally appreciated. In fact, hold on to that thought right there. Okay, I had to mention, I just had to mention the names. Uh, MTCBTC, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, Naka Diazama, <laughs> wait a minute, I got to see it. Naka Daisama, Naka Daisama, that's it. Naka Daisama, thank you too, sir. I appreciate it. Anything helps. But most of us are doing this either damn near free or for very, very little money, which is okay. You guys did me right. Okay. I'm not knocking anybody. You guys did me right. I'm just saying there's a reason that we do this. There's hope. There's hope on the horizon that we can extricate ourselves from this bullshit, this continuous bullshit that our parents suffered under. Their parents and 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 their parents. What do you think is going to happen 10 generations, you know, of 
10 generations of families raising children, you know, the next generation that are, and they're all under the thumb at one point or another. That's going to percolate down into the masses, which may, I don't know, maybe the people in power want that. I don't know. I'm not going to tinfoil hat this shit right now. All I do know is that we've been under the thumb by authoritarian bullshit for like thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And this is our one fucking chance to get out. And if we don't take it, then we deserve everything that comes next. I mean, we deserve everything that comes next. Just saying. The IRS offers a $625,000 bounty to anyone who can break Monero and the Lightning Network. Joshua Mapperson is writing this one for the Cointelegraph sometime very early this morning. The United States IRS has offered a $625,000 bounty to anyone who can figure out how to break or trace transactions on Bitcoin's BTC or the Bitcoin BTC's Lightning Network or the Monero chain. The official proposal published last week says that the IRS will accept submissions in the form of working prototypes until September the 16th. If accepted, applicants will receive an initial payment of $500,000 US. This grant will allow applicants to develop their prototype into a working concept over the next eight months. Once the pilot test is complete and approved by the government, a further $125,000 grant will be awarded. Quote, IRSCI is seeking a solution with one or more contractors to provide innovative solutions for tracing and attribution of privacy coins, such as expert tools, data, source code, algorithms, and software development services, end quote. The announcement defines the initiative's primary objectives as helping IRS criminal investigation special agents to trace transactions, including identifying wallets, transaction dates and times, and amounts transferred. The agency hopes to use the tools to predict the future transactions of flagged addresses. (laughs) Jesus predict the future transactions of flagged addresses. Holy shit, man, that should, that should perk you up. I'm going to read it one more time. The agency hopes to use the tools to predict the future transactions of flagged addresses, bitches. The final products must also provide CI full control. That's criminal investigation. Uh, provide CI full control with the ability to further develop or modify them so the organization does not have to rely on any external vendors. You know what that tells me? We're too stupid to do this ourselves, so we need you to do it for us. We're going to hand you this little carrot, and we're going to take this thing that you could probably get billions of dollars on by selling it to another country, but we're going to take it and we're going to have full control over it, which means that you turn over all your licensing and patents, if you have any, to the IRS. This is this shit is straight out of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Sorry, but that's the way it is. Monero is one of the preferred virtual currencies among criminal organizations over more traceable crypto assets like Bitcoin. The IRS noted <clears throat> that XMR is being used for all future ransom demands and transactions by ransomware group Nakibi due to its privacy concerns. Demand for privacy coins among criminal syndicates have grown as authorities increase their crypto forensics capabilities and employ the capabilities of private contractors like chain analysis bitches. In recent years, chain analysis has assisted law enforcement in tracking Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency transactions to successfully fight child abuse, money laundering, and here we go, terrorist financing. It's the same shit. 
Last month, chain analysis was integral in the takedown of three terrorist organizations. Privacy coins are a key strategy to help criminals obfuscate their transactions with the IRS stating, quote, currently there are limited investigation resources for tracing transactions involving privacy cryptocurrency coins such as Monero and other off-chain transactions that provide privacy to illicit actors, end quote. Blockchain analysis analytics firm CypherTrace claims to have a new tool that can trace Monero transactions, although its capabilities have yet to be confirmed. The company announced that the tool, which took more than a year to develop, will be used by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Oh, you missed out on your $500,000, bitches. CypherTrace chief financial analyst John Jeffries said the tool can track stolen Monero or XMR used for illegal transactions back to the source, such as in ransomware cases. So... Here we go. This fits with what I was saying. I mean, when I, when I, when we were talking about just before I started reading this story, the hope that is there on the horizon. Even with shit like this, the hope continues. Why? Because if more people that know what they're doing with code, if there's more people that know what they're doing with code that want freedom, that want hope, then there are that will go after a dangling carrot, then we're always going to win. And that's why it's not all that important. It's not all that ever important to just get smoking rich. Get happy. Happy will make you rich. I'm not saying sell all your shit and wear sackcloth and run out into the street saying the end is near and live under a bridge. That's not what I'm talking about. Although I have talked to people that tell me that I should divest myself of all of my earthly objects and all that bullshit. No, you don't really have to do that. But when all your earthly objects consist of is a shit ton of motorboats, Jaguars, Lambos, McMansions, shit like that, none of it really does anything. It doesn't make you happy. As long as there's people who want true happiness, and I see it more and more all the time on social media about people saying they want to get out of the cities. They want to homeschool their kids. They don't want their kids moving away. They want to get back to the land. There's more and more people are going to do that. And the more that people do that, that know how to code and have a fucking internet connection, then I feel really sorry for the IRS and their pathetic $625,000 bullshit brass ring on the merry-go-round ride. It's not going to work. Will they get it? Will this one work? Yes, of course, this one will work. But more and more, there's going to be people who are like, I don't need it. And I don't like you. And I don't like what you do. And I don't like the fact that you guys and your cronies and your grand cronies and great grand cronies have been screwing over my grandfather and great grandfather and causing us to end up with my children being raised by someone who was raised by someone who was raised by somebody who was raised by somebody who was under the thumb of somebody. I, I know I'm just rambling at this point, but this is how I feel. I feel that the human spirit is the way it is today because of generational crushing authoritarianism and that we raise our kids in that. We know as adults what's going on, which is maybe why you should have kids when you're 16 and you're too stupid to know what's going on to you. You may actually raise better children than somebody who waited and understands fully what's going on. I don't know, man. 
That's actually that actually makes me wonder about shit. So, what are Bitcoin futures? What's the CME gap? What are Bitcoin futures? And well, shit, how do they work? Robert Stevens is going to tell us, and he's doing it through decrypt.co sometime this morning. Bitcoin is the largest cryptocurrency by market cap. Like other cryptocurrencies, it's also incredibly volatile. In March 2020, for instance, Bitcoin's price practically halved in just a few days as markets tumbled amid fears about a pandemic. But by early September, it had rebounded from about $4,000 to a high of $12,000 before promptly crashing again, dipping under $10,000. Spot trading, the practice of buying and selling Bitcoin, forces traders to exchange cryptocurrencies at their current prices. But what if there was a way to lock in that price of $4,000, picking up the Bitcoin a couple of months later? So even if Bitcoin price hit 12,000, the counterparty would still have to deliver the Bitcoin purchase with a price of $4,000. There, there, there is, it's called a futures contract, people. A futures contract is an agreement between two traders that obligates a trader to buy or sell an asset at a specific time, quantity, and price. For example, you might enter an agreement in mid-March to buy one Bitcoin for $4,000 for August 30th delivery. You could also be on the other side of the deal agreeing to sell a Bitcoin for a fixed price. If you're a buyer, you want the trading price of Bitcoin to go up as you will be able to buy the cryptocurrency at below market value, while sellers want the opposite, profiting if Bitcoin were to decrease in price. People have gone nuts for Bitcoin future contracts as big players like CME Group and TD Ameritrade have entered the space. When Bitcoin futures de debuted on the Chicago Board Options Exchange, or the CBOE, in December of 2017, the website was overwhelmed. On Backed, the Bitcoin futures platform operated by the IC, or the Intercontinental Exchange, the ICE, about 11,000 futures contracts uh, are traded every single day. In the past 24 hours, as of September the 10th, $2.03 billion worth of futures contracts were traded on Binance, 2.01 million on Huobi and 1.85 billion, sorry, billions on OKX and 1.05 billion on BitMEX. BTC futures are a great way to bring in additional liquidity to the market and also provide great arbitrage opportunities. Nick Cohen, CEO of GSX Group, told Decrypt, quote, futures are an important part of the evolution of asset classes as they provide a benchmark, a fair value, or an FV of what the future value is, allowing arbitrage and liquidity to enter the markets. The reason why you might trade Bitcoin futures as opposed to just say buying lots of Bitcoin worth $4,000 at the time is that you don't have to hold them yourself. Oh God. Some crypto exchanges such as OKX have lower trading fees for future contracts, which means that traders can squeeze a bit more out of their accounts by using futures. Nick Cohen also told Decrypt, BTC futures are a great way to bring in additional liquidity to the market and also provide great arbitrage opportunities. You, you just said this. Good God, people. Sorry, that's not my fault. I'm reading. I'm, I'm reading it. I read these live, bitches. Come on, man. Give me a break. That's because future contracts are generally not held until their expiration date. Instead, they are traded like other assets. As the trading value of Bitcoin varies, so too will the value of different Bitcoin future contracts. When entering a futures contract, there are three ways a trader can exit their position. Offsetting, rollovers, and expiry. Offsetting is the most common and often occurs 
when a trader creates another futures contract with an equal value and size, making their effective obligation zero as they balance out. Rolling over is done by offsetting a position, but with an expiry date that is further into the future. Expiry is what you'd expect. It's when a contract reaches its end date and the parties who hold the contracts buy or sell at the agreed price. Another trading method for futures is hedging. Hedging is a way to reduce risk, which is useful for traders dealing with the volatility of cryptocurrencies. Consider a trader who just bought three Bitcoin at $10,000 a pop. One, she believes that the price of Bitcoin will rise by the end of the month, but wants to protect her position in case it goes down. Two, two, to protect her position, she can enter a futures contract to sell one Bitcoin for $10,000 at the end of the month. Three, at the end of the month, if Bitcoin has gone up, she will make a profit by selling the remaining two Bitcoin. Four, if it goes down, she will lose money, but this will be limited as she can still sell one Bitcoin for $10,000. Hedging reduces a trader's overall risk, though it does also limit their potential profits. The world of Bitcoin futures isn't all fun and games. <laughs> God, Ta taking on a contract is a serious obligation, and if it reaches its expiry date, the trader has a legal obligation to fulfill it. Futures could lose you a lot of money as you could be forced to buy Bitcoin way above its current trading price. Cryptocurrencies are one of the most volatile asset classes available. As with all cryptocurrency, trading Bitcoin is very risky. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed by the author are for informational purposes only and do not constitute financial investment or other advice. And that goes true for me too. Buy Bitcoin. Just saying. That's going to do it for the morning wrap. Daily Trainwreck brought to you by Justin Drake, who reminds us, if capped supply BTC is sound money, decreasing supply Ethereum is ultrasound money. Why is it a train wreck? Because he's suggesting that Ethereum as a whole is going to start decreasing its volume, a volume they don't even know how much is. Okay, let that sink in. They don't have any idea how much ETH is out there, yet they can construct a way to decrease its amount. Sorry, but that's just not going to work. Anyway, yeah, there's, there's your smoldering pile. And let's go ahead and get right on into Dad Says Jokes, considering that I'm, my God, 10 minutes over. Sorry, guys. What's blue and smells like red paint? Blue paint. because you can't smell color. I'm I was just saying. I'm long. I'm going to let you go. Love you guys. Have a great weekend. Like, uh, uh, share, uh, promote my podcast. Give it a five-star rating. Do all the things. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.